Do you want to multiply disciples of Jesus, take cities for God, ignite mighty prayer movements, and spark a third great awakening in the United States? You have come to the right place. If you long to see people love Jesus passionately, live in purity, and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what we do. My goal is to encourage and invest in the move of God happening in South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska. This is the Five State Revival Podcast. Hello, this is Jeff Mann. I'm the host of Five State Revival Podcast. And again, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and listen to this podcast. And and especially, you know, those of you who have taken the time to give me feedback and uh, just encourage me about how God has been using this podcast to be a blessing to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. That's really a blessing to me as well. So if you've not already done so, can you take a minute to subscribe to this podcast and then leave a positive review on either iTunes or SoundCloud, whichever way that you listen to it, and then tell your friends about it and invite them to listen to it as well. My prayer is that God would use this podcast to encourage people, to strengthen people, to unite his people throughout our region so that we would exalt Jesus, we would love each other, and move powerfully together with the Holy Spirit. I feel that a great awakening, a Jesus movement, is breaking forth in our region, and it's going to lead to a million soul harvest in our five-state region. So if you have any testimonies or questions that you'd like to share with me, you can send those at fivestaterevival at gmail.com, and I would love to be able to hear from you. So I want to begin this podcast today uh, by just giving you a, a testimony um, of, of a, a youth group that I went to. It's it's not like a formal youth group, but it's a ministry called Collision. It's a youth ministry in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I've heard about it. I've been in contact with some of the leaders of that ministry. I'd heard about awesome things that God is doing there. They have 130 student-led groups that are meeting throughout Sioux Falls and um, they're actively making disciples, sharing their faith, they're um, worshiping God, building one another up. And so I'd heard about this, and, I, and so I had the opportunity to attend one of their meetings in Sioux Falls last week, and I was so encouraged by what I saw the Lord doing in that meeting. So I go to this meeting. It begins, the one I went to began at 5.30 in the evening. It didn't end until 8.30. And there were no games being played. It wasn't a bunch of fluff. It was focused on Jesus. It was powerful. Three hours. And I saw students who were leaders, who were anointed and passionate to share about the gospel and their testimony about what Jesus was doing in their life. I saw youth and heard testimonies who were sharing Jesus with their friends and speaking boldly about the word of God and in their circles that they're running in. I saw youth who were loving one another with such purity, who were hungry for God. They were just engaged, enthusiastically engaged for three hours studying the word of God, praying for one another, ministering and praying for healing for one another. They were hearing from Jesus, words from God and prophesying over each other. Um, It was so powerful. There was such a culture of passion for Jesus. And honestly, there was such a culture of honor and love for one another that uh, is rare to find. And they were just 
so contagious. And um, I was so encouraged by that. I took my teenage daughter with me the entire two hour drive back to my house. She was just, um, the spirit of God was ministering to her. She was in prayer and she was just sharing with me, daddy, you know, that was so awesome. I wish I could go there every single week. If I had a driver's license, I would go there every single week. I would make the two hour drive. I would love to have a group of peers like this that I could be around every week who just love Jesus, loved each other, and were just unashamed of living for God and calling others to the glory of walking with Jesus. It was an absolutely amazing time. I was so happy about it. There was one young lady who got saved at that meeting. And so, um, man, I'm just encouraged about that. And there's 130 of these groups that are meeting in Sioux Falls. I feel like they have a ministry model that um, is is a fresh wineskin for the move of the spirit that's going to be happening in our day. We're going to be seeing thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, I believe, of youth getting saved, uh, I believe, in a very short period of time. And I believe that what they're doing is equipping these youth to be leaders and to make disciples and lead these discipleship groups is a model that can be multiplied in many other cities throughout our region. So it's called Collision Ministry. It's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I highly encourage you to check it out. And I want to just end this little segment by sharing an announcement with you and an encouraging word. I feel like there is such a strong wind of the spirit right now that's blowing over students in our region, really in the whole nation. I believe there is a um, a fresh Jesus movement that's about to come forth that's going to produce thousands upon thousands of salvations among young people. It's going to produce mighty kingdom leaders among our youth. They're going to be marked with passion for Jesus, lives of purity, and walking in the power of the Spirit in deep love with one another. Um, I am so excited about what God is has up his sleeve, and I see him doing among youth. And I think we're going to see a major acceleration of the move of the Spirit among young people in our region, even in the next year. That being said, I feel stirred in my heart just this past week to go on a 40-day fast to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll pour out his spirit on the students and the youth, the high schoolers, the middle schoolers, the teenagers in our five-state region, and that uh, there will be an acceleration of the missions movement among our youth. And so I have talk to other people, and I want to encourage you to join me in this 40-day fast. You know, um, I I talk to different ministry leaders, and um, they're doing this with me. We're starting on July 31st will be day one of the fast, and then the day 40 will be August 8th, and and then we'll break the fast the morning of August 9th. That'd be day 41. So 40-day fast to see breakthrough and acceleration of God. I believe this year uh, we could see hundreds and hundreds, thousands of young people get saved and on fire for God, making disciples of Jesus. So would you consider and pray about joining me in this fast? I'm praying that there'll be at least 200 people, at least one person from all five states in our five-state region and uh, who will join with me in unity and other leaders in the region, prayer leaders, mission leaders in our region, church leaders in our region, in a 40-day fast and um, to see a breakthrough and acceleration of the move of God among our young people. And I'm super excited and filled with faith 
for what God's going to do. And I feel like this is an opportune moment to lean into that with prayer and with fasting. And so if you are interested in doing that, you can email me at fivestaterevival at gmail.com or you can just go to the Five State Revival Facebook page and just leave a, leave a comment on there that, hey, I'm joining in with the fast. We'll be starting July 31st. So I believe that God is going to do awesome things, and I look forward to hearing from you. Let's go ahead and get into our next segment. In this segment, I want to share with you an exhortation that has ministered powerfully to me for many years, and God's recently been stirring my heart to share this with you as well. So it comes from a story um, found in John chapter 3, verse 26 through 30, and I want to go ahead and just start by reading that passage. It says that they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing. And everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. And you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. You know, something uh, very profound is happening in this story. And I find that it is so easy to find our identity, our joy, and our self-worth in our ministry based upon what we do for God. At this season, John the Baptist was the thriving cutting edge ministry that God was doing in the entire world. Think about it. His ministry, the prophet who would prepare the way for the coming of Messiah was prophesied about in the Old Testament scriptures. And now here he is in the land of Israel, the prophetic messenger that was prophesied would announce and prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, introducing Jesus, the Messiah, to Israel and to the nations. He was the most important ministry that was happening on the entire earth in his day. And he was thriving and the crowds were coming from the surrounding towns and villages. They would go all the way out into the wilderness to hear him preach a, a message of repentance and to, to be baptized by him. And their hearts were being uh, molded and, and ready to recognize the Messiah, Jesus, um, who was just around the corner from showing up on the scene. So John was just this thriving, cutting-edge ministry. His ministry was booming. It was successful. The people were flocking and coming on out there. And then all of a sudden, the season in his life shifted after Jesus showed up. Jesus comes, John the Baptist baptizes him and, and tells people, there he is, that's the Lamb of God, follow him. And the people begin following him and the crowds start leaving John and following Jesus instead. So these guys come up to John, they're like, John, John, there's a problem with our ministry. You know, we were thriving, you know, we were popular, we were getting all this attention, we were having all this influence, but now all the people are leaving us and they're following Jesus instead. And, and what happened is J Jesus became 
the most important prominent thing that God was doing in all the earth at that time. And John had played his role and passed the baton off to Jesus. The season in his life shifted and all of a sudden, uh, everybody's leaving John and he's like, man, you know, imagine yourself having a church or a ministry with thousands of people. And then all of a sudden in a God ordained season of transition, the thousands leave your ministry and they start following another ministry that God is raising up. And you know, it's the Lord. You know, I think if you put yourself in the position of John the Baptist at that moment, it would be so easy to feel rejected and to question uh, your significance at this point. You know, am I doing something wrong? Why don't people like me? But John did not feel that way. John knew immediately. He says, listen, I can only receive what is given to me from heaven. When those people were following me, it wasn't because of how great I am. It was because it was God's plan to draw them here to get the message he gave me to give to them. And now God's plan has shifted into something else. And John was like, listen, my identity is not rocked by this at all. He's like, my joy doesn't come from the success of my ministry or the popularity of my ministry um, in the eyes of people. My success and my joy is based upon um, my friendship with the bridegroom and that I completed the work that God has given me to do. You know, John... Um, did not question his significance because he found his joy and based his value upon his friendship with Jesus, the bridegroom. He described himself as the friend who attends the bridegroom. And he based his identity and value on the joy of hearing the bridegroom's voice. He viewed his ministry as a means of serving the bridegroom, not as the source of his personal fulfillment. And I wanna just, I just think it's so important uh, for for the move of God and for those of us who are involved in, in, in wanting to see Jesus break through in our region right now, it's so important that we allow the Holy Spirit to help us get secure in the love of God. You know, I want to ask you, what determines your value and how do you get your self-esteem? Because it is so easy to base our identity, our joy, our self-worth, um, in our ministry, rather than in our relationship with Christ and being well-pleasing and faithful to Him. So I want to um, just share that exhortation with you today. I hope it encourages you. I encourage you just to seek the Lord and say, God, would you just purify my heart and uh, help me just to get rooted in the love of Jesus, that the joy of my life is knowing you, knowing that you love me, knowing that I have favor with you because of the blood of Jesus, and knowing that I'm being faithful and pleasing to you in this moment, whether it looks successful outwardly or not. If I'm doing what you said and delighting in your voice, I am successful. So anyway, I hope that's encouraging to you. Now let's move into the training segment of our podcast next, where I'm going to talk about the priority of establishing a prayer culture in your life and in your ministry. It is my opinion that establishing a prayer culture in your ministry 
is one of the most important practical things that you can do to ensure its success. And of course, you're not going to ever be able to establish a culture of prayer in your ministry if you don't first establish a culture of prayer in your own life. And so I believe that prioritizing uh, giving yourself to prayer, to be a man or a woman of prayer, and in your ministry, training others and gathering others to pray and devote ourselves to prayer. It's one of the most important priorities that we need to have if, if we're going to be successful in the mission that Jesus has given us. I believe this because of the example that I see in Scripture in the, in the early church in the book of Acts, but also because of my own ministry experience. So, I, I, I see that in the Gospels, Jesus announced that his house would be called a house of prayer. You know, what does that mean? If somebody were to look at your church from the outside, not knowing anything, and they just observed you for a week, and then afterwards, somebody asked them, would you describe that group of people? What are they like? And they say, you know, I can tell you one thing. That's a house of prayer. That would mean that, you know, that's a group of people that spends a lot of time praying. I mean, they pray all the time. They're praying together. They're praying as individuals. They're praying about everything. That is a group of people that pray. And Jesus uh, used the term, they're a house of prayer to describe his church. And so I think uh, it means that uh, being a house of prayer, it means that if we're going to plant a church the way Jesus uh, wants us to plant the church, we need to do so in such a way that it is a house of prayer, meaning that they spend time praying together and interacting with the Holy Spirit. But not only that, but there's a spirit of prayer that marks the church. There's an atmosphere and a culture of prayer. We're living in communion with the Holy Spirit and hearing his voice and living dependent upon him um, and coming together in faith-filled prayer to see God release his power to intervene in various situations is just a normal part of being in the church. And we want to establish this kind of culture, a prayer culture in our churches. You know, Paul exhorted Timothy, uh, you know, the apostle Paul, he plants the church in Ephesus, and then he sends Timothy there to over, help oversee the churches and help establish some foundational things that needed to take place in that church. And this is the instruction that Paul gave to Timothy for helping establish that church and make it strong. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore I exhort, listen to this, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. I was reading this passage one day, and of course, I'm a pastor. I planted a church in 2007, and I, I love church planting. I have it in my heart. I want to see many, many more churches planted and seeing church planters raised up. And I remember reading this verse one day just in my time with the Lord, and the phrase, first of all, jumped out at, uh, off the page into my heart when I read it. And I'm like, man, here's this wise apostle, the apostle Paul, and he's saying, I'm going to give you some pastoral advice. First order of priority, I urge you. Not just, hey, you know, I kind of recommend this. This would be a good idea. It works for some people. Try it out. See if it helps for you. That wasn't his attitude. He says, listen, I urge you. This is of utmost importance. First of all, get your people together and teach them how to pray. Establish a culture of prayer in your life, Timothy, but also in your ministry and the disciples that Jesus is giving you to make. So that was a very important exhortation. 
Not only that, but God himself went out of his way to help establish a culture of prayer in the first church in Jerusalem. And I see that in the book of Acts. This was a top priority for God. Of course, right before Jesus ascends, he gives the great commission. He says, go make disciples of all nations. But then he gives this exhortation. He says, but wait, don't go yet. He says, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit that my father promised the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and then you're going to be anointed with power to be my witnesses in all the nations, and he will give you success in your mission. So I imagine these guys are itching and ready to go into the nations because they're just so filled with faith. They just watched Jesus be resurrected, or at least they, they saw the resurrected Jesus and interacted with him many times. They watched him ascend back into heaven. Their faith was flying high, but they obeyed Jesus. And the first priority was not just to go into the nations. The first priority was to establish them as a community who prays. So what did they do while they waited uh, for the Holy Spirit to show up and to fill them like Jesus promised? It says in Luke chapter 24, verse 53, that they continually stayed at the temple praising God. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says that they, they gathered, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with the brothers. So we see, like, what are they doing while they're waiting for the Holy Spirit? They're not just going around testifying about Jesus. They're praying. They're worshiping and praising God together continually, the Bible says. And, you know, God waited for a while before the Holy Spirit showed up for a number of days. I believe it was about 10 days. And I wonder, what God, why did you wait? Of course, he wanted prophetically the Spirit had to be poured out on the day of Pentecost. That's one of the main reasons he waited. But I believe one of the other things he was accomplishing in the church, he says, guys, he says, I don't want you to just go out and be a bunch of doers. I want your primary identity to be a people who commune with me and rely upon me and gather together in unified worship and prayer. Your interaction with me is the foundation of, um, for the mission that I'm going to be sending you out to do so that you'll be successful in that. And we see also in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, they were in this place of prayer when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And then, of course, people saw that. Peter preached the gospel. 3,000 new believers were added to the church. And what did these new believers do? Acts 2.42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. And here's the fourth one, and to prayer. I mean, the the Jesus said, my house is going to be a house of prayer. So right away, you, they get new believers and they're already a community of prayer because they've been doing this from the time Jesus ascended, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And immediately they bring these new disciples into their community of prayer and they teach them how to devote themselves to prayer together. It's an absolute priority in scripture. Acts chapter three, verse one, we see that it was the time of prayer when Peter and John were going up to the temple and uh, G and they, pray, they, they spoke to and Jesus healed the lame man there. But what stands out to me is that there was a time of prayer. It says at three in the afternoon, and, and you know that was based in the Jewish culture. They had their times of prayer. The early church just adopted that. But we see that there was a rhythm of prayer 
that was part of the normal life of the early church. They were a community of prayer. They had a culture of faith-filled prayer. And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 24 through 31, there's increased threat of persecution that's coming against the early church there in Jerusalem. And what's their response? You know, their knee-jerk response is they do what they're best at. They do what they're familiar with. They do what they know works. It says immediately in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, there was an increased threat of persecution. And it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And then God answered by pouring out a fresh boldness and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And there was an increase in their mission and grace to speak the word of God like God called them to do. There were increased healings and miracles and signs and wonders. If you read on in Acts chapter, uh, the rest of the chapter, there's increased unity and generosity and love among the believers. These are the signs. This is the fruit of a church that makes praying together a priority. Coming into the presence of God communing with the Holy Spirit, worshiping Jesus together, calling upon the Lord to release his power, to intervene in the various situations that we're facing, that life of dependence upon God's power, communion and wisdom and instruction from the Holy Spirit, that lifestyle, that culture of prayer is to be a hallmark feature of God's people. And so why is this relevant to us as a movement, we're wanting to see Jesus move. It's because the as God brings in the million soul harvest in our five state region, it's essential for those of us who are discipling these new believers, who are starting these new churches, that we're very intentional about teaching them to pray, gathering together, and helping these new churches to be houses of prayer. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul exhorted the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You know, I was meditating on this scripture one time, and I thought, okay, if I'm going to obey that, what does it mean to devote myself to prayer? And if I substituted any other activity for prayer, if I said, I'm a runner, for example, you know, and there was a time in my life where I didn't exercise regularly, and I would occasionally when I'd feel in the mood, I'd go out for a run, but it's not anything I really did consistently or regularly. Um, I wasn't that serious about it. It's just, you know, there'd be a nice day out. I felt extra energy. I thought, you know, I feel like I'm going to go out on just a short little run and I would do it sporadically. But you know, then after um, a, a number of years ago, I actually got into the sport of running and I, I got into it. And I devoted myself to running and I set schedule. I, at the beginning of the week, I scheduled the days of the week that I'm going to run. I schedule intentionally how long, how far I'm going to run on each one of those workouts, you know, because, and I, I, I got a training plan and I devoted myself to it. I didn't just run on the days when I felt like it. I was like, no, I'm going to be disciplined. Even on the days I don't feel that much energy, I'm going to make myself get out there and go on a run. And because I, I went from the place of just being a casual runner to being a man who devoted myself to running. And I believe that when Paul says to the church, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, this is the kind of thing that he has in mind. It's not just a casual praying whenever we kind of feel inspired. Because when we pray, only when we feel inspired, we do it sporadically. We don't, um, and, and we don't grow in it. We don't get very good at it. We don't really have a lot of confidence that God is listening to us. 
But when Paul says devote yourselves to prayer, he is telling us to be intentional about prayer, to be consistent about prayer, to be persistent in prayer, and then to always be learning and growing and becoming more effective as you do it in the grace of prayer. So in 2005, my wife and I started our church in Huron, South Dakota called James River Church. And, you know, we've always been uh, people of prayer. It's always been a value in our lives personally. You know, we, we having a prayer life, devoting ourselves to that has always been important. We always love prayer corporately, but it's not something that we did super consistently when we first started our church. In 2007, the Holy Spirit led us to be consistently engaging and devoting ourselves to prayer. And so we started a prayer meeting on Friday nights from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. And we made that prayer meeting the most important meeting of our entire church every single week. And we devoted ourselves as a corporate body of believers. We began to devote ourselves and prioritize to, uh, the activity of prayer and worship and coming together to do that consistently. And I would say that has been the turning point of our church. We've been doing this now for over 13 years. And in 13 years as having that prayer meeting as the top priority, here's some of the benefits that have come as a result of that. We have spent well over 2,500 hours together before the throne of God interacting with God which is powerful in and of itself. But what that's led to is that we've seen many, many miracles. We've seen many direct answers to prayer, not only as individuals and families, but corporately as a family of believers. And the result of seeing all this answered prayer is that there's a culture of prayer in our in our community where there's just a people live with a God awareness that he's real and he's involved in our lives and he responds to us. And if we call upon him, he'll intervene. And so what happens is we hear his voice more. We're listening for his voice. We're learning to be led by the spirit better. We're more intentional about that. And also there's a unified faith response to to any need that arises that it, we just have this thing in our church you know if somebody faces a need a crisis or a breakthrough that they need to see they gather the other believers together and they say listen we need to see this breakthrough and there's just this knee-jerk instinctive response as a family of believers we circle the wagons, we come together, and we call upon the Lord in faith, knowing he's going to answer us. And we, that's just automatic. That just happens all the time. It's just part of our normal weekly rhythm as a church. That kind of just gathering together in prayer, there's that culture of faith-filled prayer because it's something that we've devoted ourselves to on Friday nights, and it spills over into the rest of our life. And so I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit about how you can partner with him to build a prayer culture into your life and minister ministry as a matter of top priority. So in your personal life, have you devoted yourself to prayer? Have you taught your children to devote themselves to prayer? Are you intentional about training the disciples you are making to be men and women of prayer? And are the church is the church that you lead, are they houses of prayer? Are you intentional about that? So I just want to pray for you and exhort you to go after that. I feel that's a key piece of what God wants to do in the church in our region. He wants to establish us and all the new believers that are about to come in as houses of prayer. So Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would 
stir your people in our region to devote ourselves to prayer. Draw us into communion with you and into faith-filled intercession as a way of life. Give us simple strategies for building a prayer culture into our lives, into our families, into our, our ministries. I ask that you would give us abundant grace to help us get out of the gate and get going and answer prayers to build our faith and encourage us to pray more and more. Father, I ask that you would increase a spirit of prayer and that you would establish a culture of prayer as one of the central hallmarks of your people in our region. And I ask you this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to apologize for all the background noise that you might be hearing on this podcast today. It's a beautiful afternoon outside here in Huron, South Dakota, and people are out mowing their lawns and doing construction and things like that. So anyway, in this segment, I want to share a really valuable resource with you. And you know, one of the things that we've I found in my life and our church has discovered is that the more we devote ourselves to pray, we hear God more. And um, in, in one of the primary ways that God speaks is through dreams and visions. It's that way with his people in the Bible, and he communicates that way with his people today as well. And often these dreams and visions that God gives to us are messages hidden in parabolic form. And so and, and it's important that we learn the biblical methods for interpreting the dreams and the visions that God is giving to us. And this is something that my, God has really called my wife to, to study and to learn. My wife is extremely gifted in um, not only understanding and interpreting dreams and visions, but helping train other people to hear what God is saying to them through the visions and the dreams that God has been giving them. And so there, she has a website. It's called unlockingyourdreams.org. Unlockingyourdreams.org, an excellent website. She teaches a, a seminar on biblical dream interpretation. It's really, she's an excellent communicator. It's very practical. I believe it will be life-changing for you. And I say that just based upon the testimonies. So many people have shared that with her after hearing the teaching, going through the seminar, they're testifying. They're like, oh my goodness, God's been speaking to me all this time and I didn't recognize that was him who gave me that dream. Or they say, you know, I had these dreams and I thought it was from the Lord, but I didn't exactly know what he was saying but now I get it and they're able to be edified from that message that God gave them. She, on her website, if you go there, she actually, you can listen to her entire seminar on biblical dream interpretation for free. You can listen to it right there on her website for free. She also has a manual that you can read. You can download it for yourself for free from her website. Or if you'd rather purchase a copy, it's like in workbook form, you can purchase it directly um, on her website too, and you can order it. It's really cheap, but I believe this will be such a valuable resource to you. God is speaking to his people. His last day's church is going to be a vibrant house of prayer, and we need to learn the language of heaven. We need to learn how to understand what God is saying to us through dreams and visions. So if you're interested in that, that will be a blessing to you. Check that out, unlockingyourdreams.org. So thank you for listening today. Again, if you enjoy this podcast, would you please share um, it with other people, subscribe to it on SoundCloud or iTunes, um, leave a positive review. 
and um, check back again with us next week for our next episode. God be with you. <laughs>